0: hey guys and welcome to the family business in Dava podcast we are the voice of african family business
1: promoting generational wealth and generational legacies
0: and my name is susan tendi and
1: i am Niker
0: Anani. and we're going to be taking you through the journey of african family business Good afternoon everybody and thank you so much for joining us for this session of african women in family businesses and we are so honored today to have with us margaret hirsch and she is going to be sharing with us her journey And we are going to also be asking her some questions about how her journey has progressed and what has brought her to this moment in time where she is inspiring us all as a successful woman in um, family businesses. And yes, I think our moderator for today, Taria, is here. So uh, I'll let Margaret introduce herself before Taria starts asking her questions. And thank you once again for joining us this afternoon, Margaret. Pleasure. So, can I go? Yes, I
2: to, yes. To hear, to hear are you gonna say hi to us nice to meet you. you look amazing. I love it. I love it how smart you look and uh, lovely to be here with you today. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Thank you
3: thank you for thank for being
2: here okay, so um so I just thought I'd introduce myself. My name is Margaret Hirsch. I'm the chief um, uh, I was chief operating officer. I've now been promoted to executive director at Hirsch's Home Stores in South Africa. We're the largest appliance um, company in South Africa and we sell everything from fridges, stoves, washing machines, beds, furniture, anything for the home we do we um, started very very small we started with a tiny little store that's as big as your toilet and now we have 22 outlets around the country and we have um we just have the most amazing products so my work is selling onions and toasters and kettles but my passion is educating african women on how in business and how to have a successful business in africa so um i got married in 1972 i've been married nearly 50 years and um, that's my wedding picture when I married my husband. Um, he was earning 25 Rand a week. So I never married him for his money, I can promise you. But we started our business when my son was born. Um, and when my boss fired me when I got pregnant. So then I had my son. And then I later had my daughter. And we worked around and we took pictures in our house. This was our first ever shop. We only did repairs. And from there, we graduated to the next store, which we bought. And it was our beginning of our property company. And the shop was downstairs and my cookery school was on top. I taught microwave cooking. And from there, we graduated over a period of time to our Springfield Park store, which was in the home store concept. And from there, we opened um, a few years later, our um, Schlanger store in 2001. And from there, we, we just um, went and we just went from strength to strength. We opened the store in four ways in 2002, and then um, and you can go fast to shame. In 2004, we opened in Struban's Valley. And um, then we opened our store in Centurion. And so it went on. And we just kept opening stores. We opened a store in Bolito. And in Meadowdale, which is in Germiston, and Hillcrest in KwaZulu-Natal. And then in 2012, I opened my Cape Town store, which is a magnificent store, absolutely brilliant. And then I opened in Somerset West, which is the richest town in um, in, South, in South Africa. And then um, Silver Lakes in Pretoria, Somerset West. And then we opened in Brackpan, because um, at that stage, Brackpan was the fastest growing area in the Southern Hemisphere. And then we opened a flagship store in Hyde park so those are our stores we've got stores around the country but we started very very small many many years ago and this picture was taken at our first ever um, working back in the day in the stores with my customers that's me on the extreme left with a very short black hair um, because I used to have black hair then my hair went brown and that was me working in the store with with the people those two people then Dylan and Gringo, still work with me today and that is like 35 years later I was very Honored to go to Japan and with my friend Diana Lindsay, and we learned microwave cooking in Japan. And I came back and taught microwave cooking and wrote the first ever microwave cookbook that was written in South Africa. By the way, I'm just at the moment completing my vegan cookbook, which is available, which should be available from next year. But in 1994. I, we realized in 1994 in our country Nelson Mandela came out and we didn't know what was going to happen so we took all of our staff and we set them up in their own businesses so we set all our drivers up we sold them the trucks and we set them up in their own business with them doing the work and the wife doing the books we set up our technicians with the man doing the work and the wife doing the books why do I do that because I believe that the woman should control the money in any household In 2012, I was voted Businesswoman of the Year for South Africa. And you see me there being congratulated by Jacob Zuma. I did not hold his hand for too long because he was already on wife number six, and I didn't want to be wife number seven. So I just said, thank you very Very quickly. I hope I went. And in 2014, I was voted Most Influential Woman in Business in Africa. And you see me there with Richard Mapa.
0: Apologies, Tari. I think we lost uh, Margaret for for a minute there. She's currently in Tanzania, so um, her network has been a bit of an um, up and down. No
3: problem.
0: We'll just wait for her to rejoin us. No problem. Um, Tari, while we wait, uh, could I just kindly ask you to just introduce yourself to our audience so that they get to know who our moderator for today is?
3: Oh, sure. My pleasure. Um, I'm uh, Tariye Badageshin, and I'm the Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer of the Air and Paris Infrastructure Fund. We are um, a joint venture between an asset management company based in Nigeria that owns um, one of the largest pension funds in the country, and um, a South African infrastructure fund called Harry. and our focus is on investing in West Africa. I spent much of my career in finance, um, working at the IMF for more large-scale government financing to... Um, uh, working in development finance type investing in infrastructure and now to running a, a fund that invests private equity in infrastructure assets. And so I've really cut my teeth in the African um, you know, real asset investment um, arena. I've been um, operating in Nigeria for almost 15 years now and investing in African infrastructure for about that same amount of time. And so um, I've had, you know, pretty interesting and exciting career in, in that space here. And um, uh, one of my, my passions is to um, sort of figure out how to um, back, female founders and entrepreneurs. In my, uh, you know, my last job, I was actually on the founding team to establish the African Finance Corporation. And one of the areas I'm most proud of is that uh, one of our first investments was into a female founded large infrastructure project called the Made One Cable Company, which was founded by, um, Peking, and, um, was one of the first infrastructure assets to be um, completed on time and on budget. And, um, I would like to say that we did more of those and they're, they're not easy to find. Um, but I'm really proud that we we've made that investment and I actually sat on that board for about 10 years. Um, in my new um, role at AIR and um interestingly, without even having an active gender lens as such, uh, just by virtue of having a very diverse team um, and having quite a lot of female leadership, both in our uh, shareholder as well as in the organization, we do have um, quite a few female um, Funded um, infrastructure projects and energy projects, or female-led um, infrastructure projects, which is something that's um, very refreshing. And I am hoping that um, we will continue to see more female-led um, large-scale projects, both in energy, oil and gas, and infrastructure. Because my experience has been um, that. You know, there really isn't any major difference in terms of the abilities to deliver those type of projects. In fact, maybe, um, you know, you know, uh, maybe I don't want to share my view, but I've generally had pretty good experiences with women leading those type of projects. And so, we definitely want to see see more of that. Um, and so, that's really it for me. Um,
1: happy to um, you know keep waiting for our our panelists to come on or. Yeah, she's on her way in. She had some um, network issues, but um, in the interim, I wanted to just unpack um, the gender piece a little bit in your line of work. Why do you think um, we're still seeing gender biases in the finance sector? Um, well, I,
3: I actually think that, um, you know, the gender bias, I would say, is really more toward capital allocation to women. There is less and less gender bias toward leadership, um, especially in, for example, the Nigerian financial sector, quite a few women in senior financial positions as CEOs or as executive directors. I think the the question that uh, we are all trying to unpack in Nigeria, Africa, and even across the world is around capital allocation and why there are so many challenges with the process of allocating capital to women. And um, I think it's a very broad-based topic. Um, I think in countries like Nigeria, where most um, funds are obtained from banks, um, there are sort of historical it hurdles with respect to collateral and the way that collateral is procured, um, um, that can then be provided as a collateral for loans. And I think it's, it's, it's a very interesting topic for this because if you think about how land is a lot of, of people use in, in Nigeria use land as collateral. And the question becomes, where do people get land? How many people really, you know, use their own cash to buy land? Um, A lot of land is inherited, and so there's inheritance issues with land and cultural issues around inheritance. There's also issues with how um, land is obtained through allocation and allocation through positions of power. Um, That's a very Nigerian thing, potentially an African thing, and because it's a reinforcing cycle, Because we don't have women in positions of power where they can get access to land and therefore use land as collateral. And so I think the collateralization requirements and the the challenges with with owner owning a collateralizable asset has been a very big constraint toward typical bank funding uh, to women. And I think that's a that's an area that I think organizations like African Family Firms uh, could very much support, is really around um, um, land and property and the ability for women to have property. Now, from a private equity standpoint, and why we don't see sort of more allocation of equity capital to women, um, you know, I think that the, um, you know, from my experience being in the infrastructure space. You don't have as many women in infrastructure as we do in more of the growth equity space. Uh, So Margaret is back. I think, you know, in terms of finding women that are leading sort of consumer goods companies, um, uh, personal hygiene and personal care, you see a lot more of that. Um, We would expect, you know, I I have seen a a bit more capital going to those type of of founders. but we need to see a lot more. And I think just, you know, now that Margaret is back, it, I think it would be interesting for us to unpack, you know, the development cycle for female founders and how they sort of build businesses. And sort of, I, I, I what I also see is certain founders get to a point where they don't even need the equity or want the equity because equity comes with another type of cost. Um, and so sometimes you find that, Women just decide to jump over the area where you raise equity because it was just so difficult or problematic and they end up just using other other forms of, of capital. Um, but I, I think there's definitely something to be to be said there. Um in terms of the infrastructure and energy landscape, I actually think um it's a space that's very well suited for women. Um But a lot of, and and my reason for that is because it's very impact oriented. You know, women are very good at thinking through how do I make an impact? How do I also design a project, you know, design a capital flow? And so when women have gotten involved in infrastructure, it's often gone very well. Um The issue is just that there's not enough w- women, sort of inspiring women to do it. And so... I hope that's where I can make a bit of a contribution by finding those inspirational women to back to further inspire women. Um, but you know, now that we have Margaret back, um, I, I think it's a good you know segue, um, Margaret. We, we lost you, and your your presentation was really fantastic, and we don't want to to stop it. Nikke had just asked me a little bit about capital and capital allocation to women. And so when you're done with your presentation, I'll probably try to take that up in terms of how you sort of had had to deal with growth and capital, especially being a woman. But your your presentation was so fascinating. So we definitely, and, and, uh, and fun. So we definitely want to continue. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> thank you. So, yeah, I'm so sorry. They, they refueled the generator here. Everything went off, but thank God we're back on again. So, yeah, so I, was telling you, I was with Richard Rapania. I loved him. What a great man. Such an inspiration. I'll tell you, he's just amazing. But with EY, and a lot of people don't know about EY, which is Ernst & Young, they do help entrepreneurs. And we were fortunate to be one of the finalists um, with EY. And they took us, and the next slide is in Montes just man in south africa he is just incredible and the two guys from ey and we had the most amazing amazing time there and we represented south africa we didn't win unfortunately but uh, we gave it our best shot but what i do to help women is I'm um, we started with my friend Sue you know I was, I was 62 when i won business in south africa i had no idea that the girls were backing with sanitary pads i had no idea and nobody ever told me how would i know So I started with my friend Sue Barnes. We started making reusable sanitary pads and we take them into the schools and we give to the girls. We found we had to give them panties. Panties. So we give them a pack of panties and three sanitary pads, one on, one off, and one in the wash. And we take them into the schools and we give them to the girls and we talk to the girls about themselves, um, about trying not to fall pregnant when they don't want to by accident. They must fall pregnant because they want to have a baby. So um, I did a lot of work in the schools with that. And now we've got them, they've gone right around South Africa and they're available to all the schoolgirls anywhere in South Africa at the moment. Then what I did is I found Marianne Wunder. Now, Marianne Wunder was Nelson Mandela's chef when he was in office. And when he retired, she retired. And I found her in a place called Amlazi outside Durban. So I said to Marianne, you're too young to retire. Let's start teaching. So we started teaching cooking to ladies with zero education. And we started very small, just teaching them to cook and bits and pieces. But we specialized in uh, funerals because there's always a lot of funerals. And we um, would go in when the person died and the bereaved family would be too upset to cook. And us and the ladies would go in. We'd cook for them through the whole week of mourning, through the funeral on the Saturday. And we even had our own praise singers who by the way are singing in America at the moment and they started with us just singing at the funerals in Amwazi so it was incredible and then flushed with success with that I met a lady called Anna and I call her Anna the baker she came to me she was 56 years old she was poor her whole life she said Margaret I'm tired of being poor help me to make money so we started and she came to see me she had 30 rand in her purse we took the 30 rand and we baked a cake. And we then uh, sold it for 60 rand Then we baked two cakes and we sold those for 120 rand. And so we went on until she was baking cakes all over and we started teaching ladies to bake cakes. And the beauty of that is when we got a whole lot of ladies, we had a competition. And for the next slide, you'll see that the, the lady's little boy who a month ago, we did that in three weeks. weeks—say so from zero, no education, no cooking experience to making cakes like that in three weeks. But you see that little boy, how proud he is of his mother now. He was sitting at home with her doing nothing three weeks ago. Now he's been out selling cakes, making cakes, and he's just so proud of her, taking pictures of the cakes. So that's what I do a lot as well. So I start. My big thing, is starting businesses with no money and and making them successful. So which is against everybody else in the world, I tell you. But I talk in schools a lot. I love children, so I teach children as much as I possibly can. I speak mostly to the girls about themselves, about their periods, about trying not to get pregnant too early, and schools right across the country, all the different schools. I also own Johannesburg School for the Blind. So I found a lot of children were blinded because of fat fires. So that's when I bought in air fryers. So we no longer cook with oil in South Africa. We cook with air fryers so the children will not get burnt. Um, there's another one of me in all the different schools. And then I talk in the high schools, and here I am with Peggy Sukumala, who's one of my absolute heroines. I mean, she is just the most amazing person from and really humble beginnings of a trick and from Newcastle Girls High to being the head of Standard Bank. She is just so incredible, and she's just. I think one of the most amazing people in South Africa. But so I started running my own ladies groups to start people off in their own businesses, because, you know, they say women don't support each other. Well, we can't talk about it. We actually have to show it. So I showed it. So this, I had in all my branches around the country, I'd have a speaker and we'd get businesswomen in and we would help them to grow their businesses. And we would help each other as businesswomen to grow our businesses. And, um, From there, then then people say, well, what about us, we domestic workers, we want to upskill ourselves. So I started upskilling domestic workers and teaching them computers and sewing and knitting and cooking and all sorts of things. And now all those domestic workers have jobs out of being a domestic worker and they've they've got their own businesses. And then I found that a lot of women would do well. These women are all self-made millionaires. But And look at um, Lisa there, she's in a wheelchair And she, in a wheelchair, she could only move one finger and her head. And she made her million. She's got her own business and finding placements, jobs for um, people with disabilities. She, all those women were millions. And so we got together and we supported each other because it's quite lonely at the top. There's not many of us out there. So we could support each other. And from that, I met Melanie Hawken, who is, um, she, she's the owner of Lionesses of Africa. And we went to Cote d'Ivoire. So we go around Africa and to all the different countries. And we help businesswomen too. Now, that little girl there, she started a jam factory from nothing. She has a standard three education. And she's now owns the biggest jam factory in Cote d'Ivoire. So we meet the most amazing people. And then the next slide, you'll see those are all businesswomen from Cote d'Ivoire, from the oldest to the youngest. It's just incredible. But then I I wanted to help entrepreneurs to actually grow their businesses because a lot didn't know how to. That was our first entrepreneurs incubator we held two years ago. And from there, it's grown to a huge, huge setup. And I have amazing speakers. like I've had Robin Banks, who's the famous guy who teaches mind power, And I run it with Marlene Powell from Action Coach. She was voted the top action coach in um, South Africa, in fact, in the whole of Africa, and top 50 in the world. So we we do amazing things with amazing people. And then the next one is I have an adopted child who is um, black and he is now 23 and um, we started a safe house for girls because I found when girls came to Joburg, they would come from all the small towns and they wouldn't have money for accommodation. So what they would do is they would trade their bodies in exchange for food and accommodation. So I didn't want that. So I started a safe house and that's my 17 bedroom safe house where they have in Joburg, where they have a bed, they have cupboard, they have ablution facilities, they have a kitchen a washing machine and we look after them there. And then at the ripe old age of 55, I decided that I wanted to get a degree. So I got my business degree. And the next slide is I got my honors. And the next slide is my present to myself for my 70th birthday was my MBA. So I got my master's as well. And I did it virtually. My my graduation was online, as you can see on my computer. Um, So it was a whole different world. But what I do is I also teach goal setting. I teach vision boarding and I teach people how to make money. And that's my story in a nutshell, so that was my very quick introduction to me and um to being a family business. So it is a family business and in here I haven't actually got the side of the rest of my family but I'm sure Shane can find it and put it up quick. So my husband started the business, it, it was his idea, we started just doing repairs and from there I came into it and then um, we employed people and then my son joined when he finished school, my daughter joined later. And so we, the four of us still run it, but we have an amazing team. A lot of them have been with us. We've been going 42 years now. And a lot of the team have been with us for 40 years, 38 years. So, yeah. So I've forgotten what the first question was. Tell me a bit about yourself. And well, that was a bit about myself. And what was the next question that you are going to ask?
3: Thank you, Margaret. That was just a wonderful overview. It was very timely was really fun to see all... Um, you know, the, the broad array of contributions that you've made. And, and I think it's actually a very good segue into what we were talking about as you dropped off, which is around um, growing businesses and capital. It sounds like one of your key philosophies is around growing businesses with limited or little capital. Um, but in terms of how you build PERSH into a you know national twenty two store um, business. Uh, to what extent did capital play into that, and um, how did you? What type of capital sources did you choose? And as a woman, how did? Um, w- what informed your decision making? Uh, how, how do you think you implemented differently as a woman, or affected differently as a woman in terms of how you thought about capital and growing your business?
2: Well, um, I knew that if I borrowed money, I'd have to pay it back with interest, and I didn't want to do that. So what I did is I made money, and I put it back into the business. So I kept plowing my profit back into the business, and that's what I teach my entrepreneurs because – you know, to to borrow money, you're either going to pay a very high interest or you're going to have to have collateral. And if they've got collateral, they don't need money. So I found that the normal business person would really struggle to borrow money. They would borrow the money and they'd end up making money, but they would take all the money they made and pay it back in the interest for the money they borrowed. So I told them, let's try another system, which we did. And as we make the money, as I said with Anna, the baker, who started literally with 30 rand and built her business up, she's got a multimillion rand business today. And she is now making cake. She's got her, her own house in Somerset, where she drives on a CV's bench. She's got a lot of money. And she's done it all with my philosophy of um, making money and putting it back into the business and carry on. Now, see how Jeannie from Jeannie's Hats, see how she does the same. She makes hats, she makes a profit, and she puts the profit back into her stock. And... Um, yeah, and, that's, and that's her philosophy and what she does as well. So there are, there's two ways of, of running a business and making money. One, you can borrow money and you may have to make a lot because you've got to pay it back with interest. Or you can start small and keep plowing the profit back into your business.
3: No, I, I think that's very um, apt and that a lot of women have found that to be the, the best way to grow, you know, bootstrapping and um, plowing profits back and building um the question is that in this age where there's um you know a lot of noise about rapid growth and rapid expansion and competitive pressures how how do you think about achieving scale um
2: with that type of philosophy because you can't, it, can't, it doesn't go fast you, that's that is my philosophy and that's what i teach you can't get from zero to hero in two minutes you've got to go so it has to evolve because you have to evolve as because I mean, most people who start a business haven't got a huge amount of, of experience in business and finance and you have to know everything you have to have it you have to There has to be such a lot you have to evolve with it you have to teach yourself as you go along and that's what i teach people to do just start small build it up slowly but surely but you've got to evolve your own mind About, I mean, I couldn't have done when I started, I had no knowledge of finance, of stocks and shares, of all these wonderful things that we deal with now, of the IT of it. We didn't have that. And it evolved over a period of time. And that's what I tell people, take it slowly and evolve and grow with it. Because, you know, yes, I am successful and yes, my turnover is huge today, but it didn't happen overnight. But how I teach people is I take a a checkers board, you know, the black and white checkers board, and I tell them to put one grain of rice on the first block. Two grains on the second block, four on the third block, eight on the next block, 16 on the next block, 32 on the next block. That's how it goes, and that's how you build up to the huge pile at the end of the day. When you get halfway to the checkers board, you haven't got enough room for the rice to symmetrize. And that's the philosophy I teach. And not everybody agrees with it. In fact, most people don't agree with it. But I want to tell you something. For my thesis for my MBA, I interviewed 45 people that started with my philosophy and my business, and within a year, they all made a million. There's no doubt.
3: Hmm. Great. Now, I think um, it will be interesting to hear from a gender perspective yeah. what were the constraints you faced as well as the biggest constraints you think women face today. And it's a very open question in that I'm sure you have but, a very interesting perspective. I, so I always say women are their own worst enemies because, and I think growing up without a father, I wasn't used to men. So I just thought I was, I was I, I just thought that's, this is what people are like, you know, and I just didn't know that there was, I, I never had a patriarch. I never had somebody telling me what to do. I never, ever had that. And then when I married my husband, he never, ever thought to tell me what to do. So I, and a lot of people grow up in a patriarchal society where the man is the boss. Well, I think growing up without a father, I didn't have a boss. So I just treated men as I treated women. I treated everybody the same. So I never had that feeling of a patriarch where I should say, yes, yes sir, no to three-grade schools, I never did that. So I just treated everybody exactly the same. And I do to this day. I deal with rich people, poor people, bad people, some people, all people across the world. I treat everybody exactly the same. My domestic worker, she comes in, she gets a cup of tea, in the same cup that if I had to invite the, the president of Samsung comes in and he has exactly the same chair, exactly the same cup, I treat him exactly the same. I don't treat anybody differently. But I think women who grow up in a patriarchal society, they are their own worst enemies because they think they have to ask a man. My worst thing that she can say to me, which is less at me, is when a woman says to me, I have to ask my husband. I actually want to hit her. I want to say, why would you ask him? I have to ask my husband if I can buy this kettle. Why would you do that? Just buy it, you know? And I think that's when women, if they're their own worst enemies, they put themselves in that position. It's not men that put them in that position. They put themselves in that position. And I've just had it with one of my staff. Her husband gave her a hiding. She came in a black eye and bruise and everything. I said to you, you don't have to stay with them. Come and stay in my safe house. You can stay there. I'll look after you. That's fine. Guess what happened? Two days later, she went back to him. I said to you, don't come back at me now. he gives you a clip, It's your own fault. You, you've made that happen. Not Nobody else has done that for you. So I believe that women have to decide that they are not only equal to men, but they're better than men because I've never come across men Growing up, so I didn't actually even know. I, mean, I met my husband, my husband is an absolutely fabulous person. He's never told me I can or can't do anything. I, I never would have thought of asking him if I wanted to do anything. I'll never forget when uh, I showed you my little uh, adopted child, and then um, I, when he turned 18, he, he used to live at Boys Town. And then when he turned 18, I had to find somewhere for him to live, and I didn't know where. And I went and bought my shop in Somerset West, and one afternoon I bought for 25 million rand cash. And I found my husband and I said, I've just bought this place for 21 million rand. And the reason I bought it is he had a flat in it and especially could live with it. And, um, he said to me, Oh, you know, that's fine. He didn't care. He not worry. He didn't say, you can't spend that kind of money. He didn't, he didn't even think to say. Thin. And I never thought to ask him if I could buy it. I mean, I just, I just did. So I think that's what a lot of women have to take responsibility on their shoulders. You know, it's easy to ask a man because if you make a bugger up. You heal, you know, you can say, oh, well, I asked my husband, he's like you, He would take the blame. I think as women, we've got to take responsibility for ourselves. We'll stand on our own two feet and say, this is me. I'm not going to ask any man for anything. And I don't. And in business, I deal with, I'm always the only woman on the board. Always. And I never ever ask a man, is this possible? Can I do this? I just say, this is what we're going to do. And guess what? 99.9% of the time, they agree with me. And if they don't agree with me, they're sorry afterwards. It doesn't end up with anyway. And that's what I believe. Sure. In fact, you know, sometimes when, you know, women who are in leadership positions think about what may differentiate themselves, um, you know, sometimes I think about sort of the being just lucky, like you're lucky that you were born without uh, uh, a strong patriarchal environment or lucky that you were born into a very supportive father or supportive husband situation. So the question that I have for you is, is it that patriarchy is imposed or that women enable patriarchy? Definitely women and I told you, women are their own worst enemies. They make it happen because they don't want to stand on their own feet. They don't want to take responsibility. It's so easy to say, oh, I have to ask my husband. And that's just your little way out. If you, you just want to say, no, this is me and this is what I'm going to do. So, yeah, definitely, um, They, although they're born into a patriarchal society, they like it because you don't have to take responsibility for anything. And, you know, people who take responsibility in life are 80% more successful than those who don't. That's a a fact. It's a proven figure. And so if we take this and extend it to your family, you know, you mentioned that you have a daughter and you have a son and they're all active in the business. How have you taught... Responsibility and accountability, and how are you thinking about um, trans, transfer or sort of um, the role of your daughter, for example, in the family business? How do those com- she's she's strong. Strong. If you meet my daughter, she makes me look like Mickey Mouse. She's a very strong woman. And, um, so many times in her life, she's come back to me and said, Mom, thank you for making me a strong woman because I would never have been able to cope with this situation if it wasn't for being a strong woman. So, yeah, I mean, I could give you so many examples, but she's extremely strong. My son, my son took over. He actually is the head of the business because I have five grandsons. So my daughter has three sons and she is absolutely determined to bring them up to be the best that they can possibly be. So they are top of everything, you know. And she puts a lot of effort in. And I have agreed to allow her to bring up those boys the way she wants to. Um, She does still work in the business a lot. But I've said to her, your boys come first. If you've got anything to do with the boys, that comes first. And work will come second. Whereas said, my son, he's got a wife. And I said to him, your wife will take care of the children. And the work will come first. So we have that very good balance in there. My daughter's children are older than my son's children. So they will graduate before his view. So I think it's going to work out right because as my my daughter's children get bigger, she's spending more time and doing more in the business, but she still gives them everything because they have to be top notch. And how does that work out in your conversations with the family in terms of um, her role as um, a woman in that does it cause any tensions because she has to sacrifice time? How How do you manage in the family boardroom thinking about, her her role and her 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 trade-offs between being a woman and a mother and contributing to the family business. No, yeah, she as I said, she's very, very strong. So she can cope with anything. She as uh, my children are very hard working as well. I think that makes a huge difference. You know, I had a friend who had a similar business to mine and I saw her spoil her children. She had four children, she spoiled them rotten and I just looked at those children. And luckily she's quite a bit older than me. So her children were older than mine. And I looked at them, I thought, I'm never gonna have children like that. My children are gonna to learn to work. And being a retail, we work a seven day week. Um, so we work really hard. We work long hours. You know, I'm in I own the Samsung stores as well. So I'm in the, the, the shopping centers which in December we're closing at eleven o'clock at night. So we work really hard and we work long hours. So yeah, we put a lot in, a lot. But it it's fine, you know, it all works out evenly at the end of the day. You know, one puts an extra effort here, one puts an extra effort there, one will do a bit more here, I want to do a bit more there. But at the end of the day, we go for as a unified course because we have to be a unified force. because we've got a very big star. And if there were any cracks in it, I mean, I was, you know, being African, as I am, I told you, I'm born in Zimbabwe, growing up in South Africa, and for the moment I'm in Tanzania. Um, you know, I, I'm a very strong African. And in Africa, the, the elephant is, has the matriarch. She calls the shots. And if you want to be a strong woman, you be the major, but you've got to pull cool the shots because you've got to take the rubbish when it comes and, and deal with it. You can't just say, I'll do the good things and not the bad. You have to deal with everything. Right, right. And just from a, a generational standpoint, um, you know, you started just from your story, um, you know, you started your business, um, you know, small small business, um, running a family probably um, even running a family and then su- su- supporting to, to start a business and you've seen this business grow um, and you've also seen your country evolve you've seen how you know you've seen how all these relationships have evolved what is your vision for how your business grows and sort of how um, the generations of young people that are now evolving sort of also make contributions to the development of business. How do you see your legacy in in that context? Well, I, you know, I've just started a legacy and we have a, the most amazing stock. We've got a big stock, over 2,000 people. And um, I'll give you one, for instance, I told you in 1994, we sold our trucks to our drivers. And one driver's name was Kumarang Rangasamy. He's an Indian man from Bourbon. And he, he brought up his children and he said, they're never going to be drivers like me. And he educated them and they all came out with degrees. And of course, there were no jobs. So his son came into his business. He improved upon it. He now has a very big logistics business. And Tamarin is still doing the deliveries for me, but his son has a logistics business that he's running and growing. So I've seen it right across the board with all my staff, how they, they have all educated. I've really pushed them to educate their children that their children would have university degrees. And um although my children didn't have university degrees, I sent my children out to work. I said, I'm not paying for you to go to university. You must go and work. And they did. Um, my son went to London. He worked for The Gap, which is an American company in London. So he learned retail there from the ground up. My daughter worked at Sugar Bowl California. She went on an exchange program. And when they tested her to see what she would be good at, her best thing was retail. And they put her into retail store. So she learned retail there. Then she came back to us. So we didn't just leave it there. We continually study. We studied at Disney University in America, which, you know, Disney's the biggest employer in the world, and they have their own university for their own staff, but they take other staff in as well, other people in as well, and we studied at Disney University, all of us, and we took a lot of our staff as well, and they all studied there. But we do, we, we continually studying, we're continually learning, we're continually evolving, and not only in the run-of-the-mill things, we also do, um, for instance, um. We, we do mind power. We all learn mind power. We've all done the fire walk where you walk barefoot to over 15 meters of red hot coals to prove that your mind is so strong. You don't burn your feet. So we do amazing things all the time. You have to keep evolving and growing. It's not, you know, you don't arrive. It's, and even now I'm 70 years old. I'm still evolving. Mm. There's something that you said that is very interesting, which is about the drivers and the women and Really bringing up the, the wives and the children in among your staff and really sort of almost being a, an evangelist for access to opportunity across yes. the family spectrum. Yes. But when you do that, you also push against a lot of norms. You challenge norms. You, and, yeah. You challenge norms. You, you challenge the establishment, even if it's the establishment of family right, or establishment of what is known to be marriage. Yeah. And the question I have for you is, as a woman, I can see that you have, while you ask women to take responsibility, you are also challenging women and pushing women to take responsibility, and you are pushing their men to do the same. Yeah. How have you been able to manage the type of tensions and pushback that form when you challenge culture in such a way? When you challenge patriarchy, when you tell a man to let his wife handle the books, how have you handled that and done it so elegantly and so successfully? So how I did it was, um, I, you know, the, the man did the work and the woman did the books. But shall I tell you, I, I give them my statistics in a country where our, um, what's the other one, Ellen, other one, are a country where the, um, divorce rate is 73%. In my business, the 22 businesses that I started way back in 1970, 1994, I started 22 businesses. Every one of those families are still married to the original person and all their children are working in those businesses. So I show them that that it works. This is how the system goes and this is how it works. You know, so then they see that I introduce them to the people, you know, and I say, look here. And I, and I say to the women as well, I say to the woman, listen, my girl, you better take control of this money because if you don't, and you give your husband the money. There's all there is going to be some little floozy who's going to be batting her eyelids at him and he's going to just live on his ego and he's going to say, Oh, you know, you can take a little floozy. The little floozy is going to run off with all your money and then he's say, to leave you? Don't be stupid. You hang on to the money and you give him an allowance. And it works. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, wants I like, I like money. this idea of using data to to prove the success of the model. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, I show them. I say, come and meet the people. You know, you meet this, she'll tell you if it worked for her. You know, I mean, nobody wants a man with no money. They don't. So if you make sure your man has got any money on him, you can keep the money. And all of them today own their own homes, they own their own motor cars, they have paid them off, they have beautiful holidays, they're all doing extremely well. Uh-huh. Interesting. I'd like to just switch gears uh, for a moment, but similar theme, which is about the fact that uh, you built this business with your husband, right? And he, he, you sort of he conceived it, but you you've taken on a, a larger than life role. Um, can you speak to your experience of co-preneurship and this this other sort of emerging dimension of the female founder in partnership with a husband, and also managing the the marriage dynamic while also being business partners. Yes. Well, you know, I can use my friend Melanie Hawkins from Lionesses in Africa. I mean, she's the CEO and founder, but her husband joined her in her business and he works with her all the time and he helps and supports her all the time. So there's lots of those happening now where the woman's actually starting the business, the man. And I can think of another one. I've got another friend in Peter Maris who's a coach and she's a very good a professional coach and she earns a lot of money and her husband left his very lucrative career to join her in her business because together they would work together and you know families that, that eat together and work together stay together and today family is the most important thing and I think if nothing else COVID taught us that because when you came to COVID you couldn't go and visit your friends, you couldn't go and visit everybody else you stuck with your family and that's when family really became important mm. Hm, mm, absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of um your your husband's role right now, how active is he in the business? Extremely active. We gotta understand it's a very big business and it's a very busy business as well. Our turnover this year will be in excess of two billion Rand, which means we turn over two hundred million Rand a month which is a lot of money to turn over. It's a lot of appliances to turn over. And remember, we don't only sell them, we fix them as well. So we've got massive service departments. We fix everything from cell phones. If you've got a broken cell phone, you can bring it into my shop. We put a new screen on it while you wait. And um, We fix air conditioners. We fix washing machines, fridges, stoves, everything, gas stoves. We, it's a huge, huge, huge business. And it, there's a lot for everybody to do. So yeah, we're never going to be short of something to do. We're all busy all the time. I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I go to bed at midnight, seven days a week. So I, I'm 70 years old. I still work. My husband's 74 and he still works like that as well. There's no time to sit wow. around and nothing. Mm-mm. We're not that kind of people. We are workers. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any tips for, um, co-preneurs? Yes, you know, um, are you,
1: uh, yeah, right. uh, we ask a
3: lot of times, because we've been married nearly 50 years now, people ask us, how do you stay married for so long? I say, it's very easy. You each give a 100%. If you ask me, like it seems that I'm doing everything. If you ask my husband, he thinks he does everything. You know, so you each got to put in 100% and that gets you going and gets you on. And we can't fight. We don't fight. You know, there's an old saying, you don't have to attend every argument you invite it to. So if somebody invites you to an argument, you just don't attend. So if he wants to, if he had to come up, he wouldn't ever think of it. But if he did come up with an argument, I'd say I'm not attending this argument. I'm not. Because arguing is just trying to get somebody else to do what you want them to do. So he lets me do what I want to do and I let him do what he wants to do. So we never have to argue. Mm. Now, no, that's, that's <laughs> such a puzzle on your face. Mm. Okay, I think I missed the last bit. But I, I, I'm sure everyone else did get, um, you know, the, the co-preneurship you have world. A puzzled look on your face. Pardon? You have such a puzzled look on your face, as if to say, "How on earth can you do that?" <laughs> no, I I, 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 didn't hear you. I didn't hear the. I was listening to what you were saying, and you broke up for a moment there. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, with respect to, um, you know, women-led businesses versus Businesses led by men, and I, I know you definitely have your own philosophy. Um, but you know, as you've seen businesses evolve, and you have your um, million woman uh, group there that you showed us a picture of, um, would you would you be able to describe what you see as the key differences between um, how women um, build businesses versus men? Is there a, 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 a character, a style, uh, something that you would say sort of differentiates the way women think about business or how they approach leadership of organizations or, or founding um, founding businesses? You know, if a woman is a woman in business, you've got to be tough. There's, there's no room for sissies here. So you've got to be tough. And what a lot of women do, you know, as women... You're taught to be nice and sweet and kind and, and happy and to everybody and you can't be like that not not in this thing you know you, you i mean you you've got to be sweet and kind as much as you can but you have to also be tough and a lot of women don't want to be tough where men don't care about it i mean if a man's tough boy he's really good you know the woman's tough oh my god she's an old dragon you know so and so they don't want to be called that so they'd rather just back off and as soon as you start backing up it's awkward. down So we don't want to do that. And I think for women, you've got to understand you have to be tough. You've still got to be nice and sweet and kind and do everything right. But you've got to be tough and you don't need anybody for And And do you say that all the women that are successful have been able to do that? To be successful, you have to be. And, you know, if you look at the women who I deal with on a daily basis, who are successful, and you can ask Melanie Hawkins from Lioness of Africa. She's got 1.2 million African women entrepreneurs on her books. Every one of them is a toughie, boy. They are tough, and they go out, and they make it happen. And they're all lovely people. They're all supportive of each other. I mean, we support each other like we cannot believe. But they are tough, and you don't push them around. There's no doubt about it. Whereas a man, you know, you don't really want to push him around. You quite happy for him to just carry on his own way. But you'll see a woman, sometimes they do push you around. you just got to stand your ground and just let them know. There's a book called Boundaries where you set the boundaries. You, I, I always tell people, you teach people how to treat you. You've got to teach people to treat you with respect and to treat you well. And you will never have a problem. If want to push you I'm on gonna something. Gonna... I want to push you on something, Margaret. You just described what makes Women successful by being similar to men, which is being tough. What makes women founders successful by being different from men? And you do get those that are are different, but they still, if you go right into it, you know, and I'm just thinking of successful people like Brenda Williams from uh, Key Lager Oil. Um, she is um, sure, she she's a strong woman her husband supports her they, they co-preneurs they, they work together in the business they make olive oil and they export it all over the world and she's a lovely lovely person but there's that steady toughness that runs through all of us who are successful no, definitely there's no doubt
0: so with many of us on this
3: call um, probably many of us fit that category um, Some some element of of toughness and managing that balance. But I do see that you've done so much with um, supporting um, women in your ecosystem. Um, um, And as you know, almost looking at at those of us on this call, how do you think um, women can do more for women? Um, You know, it's one thing to be responsible for ourselves, but what is it that we can all do individually um, and you know you know sort of with your experience if you could think about how to really make that impact in pushing more women into founding organizations into building sustainable and long-term enterprises how do you think all of us can in our day and in our work make those contributions what are the difference how how, how could we do that I think you making women's groups, and that's what I've done. I've got lots of women's groups. In all my branches, I have women's groups. I run a women in business, um, a whole setup there, which are, we have speakers and we teach women in business. Um I encourage women, we have a, a business called Biz Cafe, where we have coffee every Friday morning at 9 o'clock, and we all get together and we support each other. So if somebody's um, a sign writer and you runs a plumbing business and somebody's got this, We all support each other. So I have lots of women's groups. I showed you my women's group the Women of Worth, which are my self-made millionaires. They, we all get together as well. We all like-minded people. So, and then even the domestic workers, you know, we teach the domestic workers. We get them all together. They collaborate with each other. You know, women like to talk to women. They really do. You talk to a man and he's using the solution and he's done. Women like to just mull it over and chat about it. and, And women do like to help each other. I think in the past we were taught not to help each other. But now the modern woman helps. They say girls fight, but women support each other. And that's what we find, that women are supporting each other. Definitely. Yeah, I think women's groups are, um, you know, definitely um, growing and the need to build a network and the acknowledgement that um, networks also don't happen automatically. You know, there's a lot of deliberateness to how networks. No, even, even men's networks are built deliberately, right? They don't just happen naturally. The men's clubs, the men's sports, the different ways they engage, you know, all happen deliberately. So we have to be a lot more deliberate in, in how we build that. But, you know, in your organization, when you make these kind of special inroads for women, um, how do you respond to people who who would say that you're treating women too special, or you're giving, you know, you're not actually being fair? Are you, do you then have to think about how you manage both, and actually then have to worry about whether you're 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 treating the guys as nicely as you're treating the women? Well, the guys are always welcome, but they don't want to come because you know they're really outnumbered. I mean, I can have 85 women in a group, and the men, we do have them in our um, and our Entrepreneurs Club, we do have men, but they're few and far between, I have to tell you, because men also are quite arrogant. They don't want to say, oh, you know, I'm vulnerable. My business is not doing well. I'd like to help from you. Do. They don't want to come and say that. They'll rather go and you know, drink and, you know, get your buddy to help them type of things. So I must say my speciality is women. I love women. Wow. I love working with women. I love building women up. I love building up their confidence. I just got a, a letter today from one of the women and she said, If you'd told me last year that I would be able to stand up in front of hundreds of people and talk, I would have said never and she said, I've done it. She said, You built my confidence and she said to me that was the most important thing. She said any gift you'd give me would not have been as good as giving me my confidence. And that's what she sure. gave me. And that was a letter I got today. So, um, to me that's that's my joy and that's why I carry on doing it, because I just get such joy out of women who've been downtrodden their whole life, been subservient their whole life, who now can stand on their own to feed and stand up for themselves, and look after their children and feed their children and show and become role models to those children to be proud, strong people. Wonderful. I think that's um um, a really great way to segue into taking some questions from the audience. Um, I, I tried to give you tough questions, but you're, you're tough. <laughs> I wasn't able to throw <laughs> you off. I tried. <laughs> and so, um, uh, to, uh, the, the, those of us in the audience, um, you know, I think, um, I'm not sure the tech and if you're able to, um ask any questions and I think uh um, Marvin will be happy to take questions from the audience at this time. Well I see Marilyn DeVette is on and she is um head of um KPMG. I hope I got it right Marilyn. And she is a very strong woman in a very man's world and, and um she runs a lot of, of businesses and she runs um uh, she now started working with women to build women up. I don't know Marilyn if you want to come in she's probably not even pajamas. I don't know. You never know when you are
4: but, um, yeah. If you want to thanks. come in, come in. Yeah, um, uh, thanks. It's a very always inspiring to listen to you. Um, what, um, what we help with, um, business women or any business with is, um, we've specialized on family businesses. Um, and KPMG's got a, a, a special unit that focuses on family businesses and help family businesses with, uh, governance, um, setting up, um, the rules of engagement for family businesses so yeah that's that's how we've got involved with with margaret and she's been um uh, one of one of our panelists on our family business um seminar that we had your last year and and also formed part of our uh, family business barometer which is actually a publication that we publish um of businesses in africa family businesses in africa And how they, they are progressing. What I'll do is I'll, I'll send the, the link for our blog on the, the chat and then people can have a look at that if you don't mind.
3: Oh, that'd be wonderful. I'm sure that'll be wonderful. Um, any other questions from anyone else in the audience? I I think Margaret is frozen for a moment, but I'm sure she'll be back shortly. All right. Um, Margaret has dropped off. I'm sure she'll join. Uh, yeah. Oh, there you
2: are. (laughs) All right. I'm um, sorry. I'm just can't undo my uh unable to start video because let me just try again. Yeah. Um they said my host has switched my video off. Can you put me back on? Yes, I have Did
0: just given the host you permission. To-
2: Okay, yeah, I'm back again. Yeah, so um, I'm in Zanzibar, sitting here looking at the ocean, and uh, yeah, very, very weak WiFi. But I'm not complaining because at least I mean to get through to you today. Because I have no WiFi in my house. Sorry there about that, Marilyn. Uh, you were talking, and yeah, Marilyn does amazing things with women businesses. And you know, if you haven't got a support group, KPMG is a very good support group too. A lot of um, female-owned and family businesses as well
3: absolutely and I know KPMG is doing a lot with um, uh, supporting women on boards as well as been hero he also on the call um, with um, and women on board so absolutely um, Nikke, I'm happy to hand over to you um, to um, you know close on the conversation or to pull in any extra points that you think are Yeah, thank
1: you so much, Margaret. And um, thank you so much, Saria, for your time. And Margaret, thank you for sharing so honestly um, about your experience and your thoughts on women founders in family businesses as we're building legacy businesses. There's one last question. Sorry, that's in the chat box. We'll just address that and then we'll close. From Shane, how have you evolved in the new oh, I think okay how have you evolved in the new virtual world with all of the ladies' groups and businesses in general
2: Well, uh, our ladies' groups obviously have now gone all on to zoom, but the, the beauty of this is we now have people from around the world because before we just used to have local speakers but now i 've had a speaker from australia i 've had the head of forensics for um, iPhones, you know, Apple iPhones uh, from America speak to us. So uh, that's really taken us from strength to strength. We've really gone international with being on Zoom. So that's made it so much easier. And guess what? Whatever country you're in, all women have exactly the same problems and all women need support and more emotional support than any other support. You know, if you get the right emotional support, you can do anything. you if you're feeling down you can't do anything but if you're feeling on top of the world and so if you want to feel on top of the world on wednesday at nine o'clock i've got my comedy club that i run with my friends um the top laughter coach in south africa her name is bronwyn Kilroy. she teaches people how to laugh for a living and makes a lot of money from it and mel jones the south african comedian and we have our own and my friend from australia is joining us And we have our own comedy club where we just make each other laugh for half an hour. And I want to invite you all to join. And I promise you, in that half an hour, you will end up feeling on top of the world.
3: (laughs) 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 You see, you laugh just thinking about it. (laughs) Oh Lord
1: knows, I need to laugh. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Margaret. Um, and Harry, if anyone would like to get in touch with you both, how best can they reach you? Um, Uh, Margaret.
2: um, Margaret at Hershers.co.za, but I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, everything every day. Um, so uh, you can always see me there and we post all the time.
1: Yeah. Great. Um, And Harry, are you?
2: Reach totally out to, me to reach
1: LinkedIn you. and just
3: send me a message, or it's carrying dot navigation at uh, arm dot But LinkedIn is always a great way to track me down and send me a message. Yeah, awesome. Thank, thank you, you so you. much. I enjoyed this last hour. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank, so you. thank, you, thank you, Nick uh, with me and and uh, everyone for putting this conversation together. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret, for all of your insights. Bye. Great time. Thank you, Cherry Bar.
4: Lots of luck.